0: Turn the other cheek. This well-worn phrase has come to mean many things. Forgive easily. Don't overreact. Be strong in the face of adversity. All of the focus in this saying is on the person doing the cheek turning. But the truth is, there is no righteous turning of cheeks without a slap. The full quote from the Bible is this. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. That's Matthew 539. Now this is a classic hero's journey in one sentence. The hero is presented with an event that changes his world. People will hit you. He faces a choice to strike back or elevate himself and turn the other cheek. If he passes this test, he will be transformed. But none of this happens without the slap. This is traditionally the role of the villain in our stories and myths. The hero's journey also shows up in our marketing. We call them customer journeys. But if we want to make our customers heroes, it begs the question, who plays the villain?
1: Welcome to LPO, landing page optimization, where we make marketers great using design, data, psychology, and attitude. Join our host, Brian Massey, best known as the conversion scientist, as he sits down with leading marketers to help you create campaigns that deliver. LPO, landing page optimization starts now.
2: And most of the time we're on autopilot using our own motivational patterns. And I train a lot of salespeople and many marketing people. And one of the things that they don't realize is their patterns are mostly towards. You get into sales because you move towards goals. You're motivated to achieve a KPI, a quota, to hit a target. And unfortunately, if you communicate to your customers in that towards a goal mindset language, you're just not going to sell them. When we're
0: writing persuasively, we have a fundamental choice. Do we emphasize the positive aspects of our offering, or do we emphasize the potential loss that comes from inaction? In the first case, we're selling to our visitors. In the second case, we're playing the villain, presenting a negative consequence and agitating our heroes into action. Would you like to know which works better according to science? Callum Coburn has the data, and he comes with a very interesting perspective, the world of negotiation. Column is a trainer, coach, and consultant to businesses who want to be better at negotiating, better at persuading. So what does he know about persuasion and how can we use it in our digital marketing?
2: Well, let's listen. So there's the, the website, there's your email communication, there's the phone, and there's finally meeting them face-to-face. And if you don't do the web and the email properly, guess what, you don't get to meet them. So it flows through the whole way. And most people are communicating unconsciously by habit. And most of the time, we're on autopilot using our own motivational patterns. And I train a lot of salespeople and many marketing people. And one of the things that they don't realize is their patterns are mostly towards. You get into sales because you move towards goals. You're motivated to achieve a KPI, a quota, to hit a target. And unfortunately, if you communicate to your customers in that towards a goal mindset language, you're just not going to sell them because most people move to action by away from. It's called prospect theory. So that's the social science if you want to go away. A prospect theory is about we're more motivated to move away from a problem than we are towards a goal. Now, it shouldn't be like that, but it's hardwired. And if you want to know a little bit about it as a listener, then you can have a look at the brain science. It's often nicknamed the reptilian brain. The limbic system, and beneath that, we're talking about the hippocampus, the amygdala, parts of the brain that are prehistoric. It guards us from dying. It keeps us alive. Often people call it the fight or flight brain.
0: Fight, flight, food, or fornicate is the four Fs. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And I think prospect theory is covered in the amazing book by um, Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow. It's a good book. It's an easy read. And he, did he or Tversky get a Nobel Prize for prospect theory?
2: You seem to have all the facts. So, yes, uh, I believe that is, that is true. And uh, their books are more seminal. They're more academic. But if you're up for that sort of reading, you can go back and delve into it.
0: I love it. And I recommend the, uh, the audio book of Thinking Fast and Slow. So to kind of follow on what you just said, we tell our customers not to write their own copy. Now, we tend to break this rule ourselves on our own site, but it's for that reason. We have certain biases um, that are going to blind us from actually writing good copy. And somebody from the outside that's outside the company is going to be better at that. And I suspect one of the reasons is that when we're talking about our business, talking about our products and services, we are in a move toward voice always. Uh, This has become so important to me that I have actually, I I did a presentation at Social Media Week two weeks ago here in Austin, and the title was Storytelling from the Villain's Point of View, in which I talk about some of the tactics you can use to favor fear over aspiration um, and some of the psychological tactics that can be used. Um, and also, uh, you know, you talk about ethics, I'm sure, a lot in, in, in your business. want to make sure that we're honoring the brand. And uh, one of the things I hope we'll get to today is kind of where those lines lie.
2: And there's a little model that. Uh, speaking of another book, the Speed of Trust. So Stephen Covey's son, who's also called Stephen Covey, wrote uh, a a nice book. It's a short read, and it makes the point very cleanly. If I could just give you your listeners, you the the top level. It's about trust, of course, as the name suggests. And the premise is, if your customers trust you, then they buy from you faster, and it costs you less to market and serve them. So it's got to be worthwhile to you to figure out how to get more trust from your customers. And a lot of that's perceived because if it's web, they don't know you. And it starts with two sort of foundations. The first is the underlying base foundation of character. What is your character? How do you portray that? And it's put across as integrity, which means are you honest? Are you fair? And are you authentic? And if they're looking at a website, there's certain telltale signs that will show whether somebody can be trusted and fair and authentic. You've probably seen I think it's this was it Stanford who did the research for the ten top things to figure out if a website uh, can be can be at least trusted on a consistency basis so for example, do they have an address do they have contact details um does it look modern am i am I right? do I remember if it was Stanford publish that published that?
0: You know what? I'm not, I'm not familiar with that study, which is really strange because I devour that sort of thing. If you'll provide a link, I'll definitely put it in the show notes for everyone and uh, make sure that I've read it because that's, uh, that, that's one of the biggest call outs in the, in terms of when we're looking for hypotheses for how to improve a website. Trust, social proof, uh, credibility, and authority are three of the categories, three of the five categories. So it's an important uh, and, and often very easy to test and, and implement.
2: It is, and this is where bringing in someone outside who's a CRO, who's be able to hit these things right off the bat, is is useful. Because you have a look at a website, and immediately it strikes you if something's missing. Whereas when you're so close to it, as a business owner or a web owner, you're not looking. You haven't got fresh eyes. So the first is integrity. How are you getting that across in your website? The next level up for proving character is intent, and people are always asking what is your motive are you being transparent in your intent and the real question that they're thinking at the back of their mind is are you looking out for me or are you looking out for you which is a core cool question that i would put through all of my my copy are you trying to sell me or are you trying to sell you which is one of the reasons why people are much more likely to believe the words of your existing customers rather than than you. So if your copy is written from your perspective, trying to sell me your product or your service, I'm way more likely to buy if you rewrite that by giving me a testimonial or a quote from one of your customers saying the exact same thing about you. Because I don't think that your customer's intent is to sell me. It's about that motive.
0: I think that's one of the mistakes we make in testimonials. So every audience is a little bit different. But if you can find testimonials that speak about certain things uh, our playbook for a testimonial is the speaker says uh when i first encountered them i was afraid of x very quickly i realized or they demonstrated to me that they were you know professional and resolve it but it's specific to an issue
2: it's the old formula of i thought or i felt i discovered and now i believe oh, it's it's my experience that and if you're gathering testimonials from your clients, it's useful knowing this formula so that you can ask them enough questions so that you're not making stuff up. You're gathering from them what was their perception, and they're usually a little bit embarrassed to admit they didn't trust you at first, or they had a different perception based on whatever. And then you can get a fully formed quote going through all of those three three stages. So we mentioned the character, which is made of integrity and your intent, then the next level up is about your competence. And a lot of people focus on competence, but they miss the character part. So competence is is about, do you display the results you've achieved from other people? And this is about, as we just started talking about, testimonials. How do you display it? Increasingly, it's about creating video content of people talking to camera rather than a letter. And if it is a letter, great if you can get it on company uh, letterhead signed with a title and the rest of it increasingly that's becoming very difficult with the big corporates I'm finding because legal department says no we don't want to go and be said I mean even if you are a former employee it's hard to get some sort of testimonial from one one of these big corporates so there's the there's the results how do you flex your results do you put it in front of their eyeballs all of the time and I've seen so many websites including my own where for a very long time I've had my client testimonials tucked away safely on the testimonial page, not put in front of people's eyeballs on the landing pages, on the other pages where I'm looking for conversion.
0: And we almost always test for e-commerce customers, we almost test putting testimonials in the cart and checkout. You should certainly test those places because it's it's when I'm opening my wallet that you really want to double down on. You can trust us.
2: Good point. You want to overcome that buyer's remorse right even towards the end. So the competence is built on on having results, showing the results, have you done it for others? And then it's also about your capability, which is, okay, you've done it for them, but can you do it for me? And that's very difficult to show that your skills, your knowledge and experience can convert for that customer. Brian, you gave a little example earlier about... If you can display that you've done it for somebody in a similar position, somebody who had a similar fear or reluctance, then that's much more likely to convert for this person. And that can mean different streams, different funnels, one for somebody who's in a senior role, one for somebody who's in more of a a buyer or junior role. And that takes time to, to build those funnels out and to build those stories out and to really get under the skin of each of those buying personas. Can we just to kind of put a sharp
0: point on this? I would like to to use an example, a, a, a timely example. I'm getting lots of emails from businesses with responses uh, about the coronavirus. And some of them are, we're still operating. You know, our customer support people are all online. We're letting them work from home or whatever. Some of them are HR oriented, like how you should deal with employees and stuff like that when, you know, they're afraid to report to work or if you're having to um, furlough them because your store is closed. But I'm interested in those people that are saying, hey, we sell online conferencing stuff. And if you want your people to be working from home so that you don't risk spreading the virus, give us a call or or sign up and uh, I think that this issue is fraught with trust issues because it can sound like a, a taking advantage of a bad situation. So if you were working for uh, a company that did teleconferencing, what, were, what are some of the things that you would focus on to make sure that you're demonstrating ability of uh, trust of intent, trust of ability, trust of character, and integrity? Can you kind of walk us through what you would touch on?
2: Yeah. So this is akin to the insurance industry. Hardly anybody buys an insurance because they want insurance. It's hard to sell insurance with a towards mental frame or motivational pattern. So what you do is you talk about the fear factor, about how would you feel if your loved ones weren't to be able to pay the rent, to be able to cover medical bills if, if you're gone. And this is the same sort of a thing. It's that away from pattern we talked about earlier, the prospect theory. It's in your interest to use prospect theory because you know that your customers are shopping because of it, they are only buying your product because they have a problem they need to solve so don 't be shy about talking about it there 's nothing wrong with solving a problem for them. If you think that there is, then it 's only your own your motivational preferences working against you, and something that can help is looking at what web copy is out there from strong competitors if someone 's already paved the way for goodness sake, learn from them, do your research. And it's pro- probably working for the bigger companies because they've paid to have the people doing the research for them. So you, you can save a bit of time.
0: Oh, I wish that was true. I wish that, uh, if you if you copy from your competitors, you're generally copying the worst ideas <laughs> in some industries. <laughs> I wish that was true on the web.
2: So it's figuring out what the patterns are of your intended audience and. And that you can get that by interviewing them. It's better to get a professional to interview them. And maybe Brian, you can talk a little bit about the the personas because most people are oblivious about who their customers are to be able to figure out what those needs are. How do you how do you group them together? Yeah, and
0: before I do that, let's let, what do you mean by patterns? Understanding the patterns of your buyers. Drill down on that a little bit more.
2: So if ever you've had the chance, go ahead and take a Myers-Briggs profile. It's free. There's lots of companies that offer you profiles. And you might invest up to maybe half an hour answering multiple choice questions.
0: It's amazing how accurate they can be with like 30, I think 36 questions was the last one I took. I'm a, I'm a recovering ENTP, extroverted, in, uh, intuiting, thinking, perceiving. Um, I'm actually now more on the ENFP which is instead of thinking of more feelings, uh, which is you don't change very much over the course of your life typically, but I'm apparently, I've, I've always been on that border.
2: Do you know where you are between the P and the J? Because of what you do, because you're very strong and known for metrics when you give speeches, people are drawn to find out how can I use the data? I would have expected more of a J bias. So do you know where you are?
0: Exactly, exactly. And so I'm in a very J or, or a data scientist can be more J, judgmental, is what the J stands for, and that means that they're very discerning and they believe in rules and, and trust in rules. And, and the group of buyers that we call methodicals are SJs, they're sensing, judging, and they're the gatekeepers. They're the people that make sure the plumbing works and that the lights go on when you flip the switch. They, they like the systems and the rules and the processes. And I am nowhere near that. I am very deep P i think that's that's why i do things like podcasts and i see data as something i can riff on not as something that should be legislated and this is the process that you go through and that's why the podcast medium is so interesting to me because we we can talk a lot more casually about data than um you know you would get from a a phd data scientist
2: so if you do want to invest a little bit of time, take a free Myers-Briggs profile. It's one of the many profiles. There are many others you can take out there. Some of them are free. Some of them are paid. And they all give you some interesting insights into yourself. And what you'll find is there's more similarity than there is difference. Carl Jung was the guy who originally created Myers-Briggs. And then um, Myers-Briggs, the two ladies, put their own stamp on it and added what we just talked about, which is the P and J at the end. The importance isn't the Myers-Briggs. It's figuring out who you are because who you are comes into every interaction. Whether you're writing a web copy, you're writing a proposal, creating a presentation, a speech, whether you're recruiting somebody or selling to someone, you are bringing yourself into every interaction and your patterns are coming out of the words you use, the words you avoid, the conversations you have without you even knowing it. And what I tend to find is my clients, say an SVP of a department, whether it's marketing, sales, or procurement, will hire in their own image. So if I see when I profile my clients, we're using one of these external profiles, that their team have a very similar profile, the first question I have for that leader is, did you recruit them? Because you probably did, <laughs> because it looks pretty, pretty clear. And if you have everybody with the same profile, well, it's not a surprise then that they tend to have more groupthink. And the person who has a different profile, who was somehow recruited into that organization because of their background, their skills, their flexibility, or because they moved across from another department, whatever they happen to do to get there, they perhaps have the most beneficial viewpoints and ideas because they're not caught in the groupthink. They think differently, but they feel as if they're not being listened to. The rest of the department are the ones who dominate because they all agree with each other. So they, they must be right. Democracy rules. So that's the first thing,
0: you know, you see that in, in our business. So my partner, Joel Harvey, we have a fantastic partnership and the the business really took off when he and I partnered up and he is more heavily, he's going to be, he's more J than I am. We're both fairly entrepreneurial. So I imagine he's a, an ENT, but definitely more J than me. And it has worked really, really well. He does more operational stuff and I continue to do the, the marketing and teaching and Presenting and
2: that's very smart so if you guys complement each other that's more valuable than you doubling up and having a, a dual strength which is a challenge in some industries so for example in your field the ntjs would end up dominating specifically in 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 the data area and in my field as a negotiation expert the intjs dominate and the entjs are secondary And there's various reasons why negotiation experts are better with that profile. So the nickname of the INTJ, the most complimentary nickname I've come across, so therefore I wear it proudly, is the mastermind, where we try to figure out a universal field theory for whatever it is that we are passionate about, and mine is negotiation and largely social sciences. Uh, So it's worthwhile knowing who you are, what your thinking is, so that you can counter your own biases. So that you look in the blind spots and find people who think and experience the world differently from you, and that's going to come out as I said in every way, including your marketing copy. And it can feel a bit of an ego bruise when you show your best copy to somebody and they start poking holes in it and even tearing it apart.
0: Well, and those INTJs now they're fairly rare in the population. They can be brutal because they they believe that um, telling the truth is being helpful. <laughs> they they have rules. They tend to not make up rules, so their rules are usually based on good experience. So they could be really amazing. Our uh, search engine optimizer is a proud INTJ, and we butt heads because I'm I'm a heavy P, but um I, I'd be lost without her. So I'm curious if if you have kind of a, have you developed a a knack for sizing up the human being that might be um, across the table from you as uh, kind of what their Myers Briggs is and how uh, how you might change your approach.
2: You know, I have, because it's my business too, and I've spent decades studying all sorts of things, taking courses, reading books, and watching people. The the challenge is, if you are a business person and you're looking at what book to buy next, what course to take next, what's going to give you the fastest payback for a limited amount of time? Studying Myers-Briggs or one of these personality profiling takes a little bit of time and dedication to really build up that skill set, to be able to read people across the, the table, And it's worthwhile starting with some, let's say, one area of contrast. So if you look for, is this person towards or away from? That's going to be easier than trying to take on a whole framework of Myers-Briggs. So people who are in the HR field are used to profiling. They're very good at it just naturally. And they study it, so they get even better at it. But the average sales sales and marketing person isn't, and it takes a little bit of practice. Something that can help is when you're not under the pump to be able to read someone, respond to them, that gives you a lot more freedom to read sentences the second time. So looking at their email, looking at their web copy, um, if you've got a recorded message, listening to it a second, a third, and a fourth time will tend to give you more patterns. So NLP gives some of the language patterns, and you'll see this in marketing copy too. If you talk in terms of visual, auditory, and kinesthetic, so visual would be see my point of view let me show you let me give you an impression is more of the kinesthetic let me uh, grab this by the horns and pull it to the finishing line is again kinesthetic
0: well and calum hold on just a second because um i want to i want to put a capstone on the conversation with myers-briggs because we do use it as um as a shortcut for web copy and i really do want to come come in strong on this nlp um these concepts So we, if you get the book, Waiting for Your Cat to Bark by Brian and Jeffrey Eisenberg, this was one of the fundamental foundational books that uh, really got me into the business. They talk about the four most common types of Myers-Briggs folks. There's the, the NTs, which we call competitives, and they're really smart. They want to understand the philosophy behind things. They want to understand how they can get better. Oftentimes they are very brand oriented, but they're always looking for the the best, the new ski poles that make them slightly better, the lighter bike, um, the clothes that are the newest fashion and things like that. The SJs, as I said, are the methodicals. They're the, the gatekeepers and they need to know the process. They need to understand. They will not, they do not like the human touch. They want to uh, understand what your process is before they're even, they want to know the answers before they call you to ask you questions. I guess the, uh, NFs, those are the humanists, they want to understand what it's going to feel like to use your product, or they're going to want to know what kind of a relationship they're going to have with your company. And then the SPs, the spontaneous, they're just looking for an excuse to take action. So when we're when we're writing copy, we want, we can go in and do the research of the personas and understand, you know, do we have a lot of particular segment? Or we can make sure that our landing page addresses each of those. So the The copy for the the spontaneous and the competitives goes at the top because they're less likely to scroll if they don't see either that bright, shiny object or something that's in it for them. Whereas the methodicals and the humanists will scroll more because they want to understand either who you are or what your process is. So this is a great thumbnail way to do personas. Personas are used to collect research so that copywriters and um, designers can really understand who they're writing and designing for. We do have a blog post on this uh, on the site, so uh, if you're going to invest time in Myers Briggs, there is a very realistic and uh, tactical way of using that knowledge when you're developing your your online marketing. I will provide a link, absolutely in the uh, in the show notes to um, to one that I've taken that um, I've taken them a number of times over the years, and so it it, it showed consistency at, at least uh, in in that sense. I do want to, before we run out of time, though, I want to make sure that we touch on NLP. I think this is an, a misunderstood area in really linguistic programming. I think a lot of charlatan, I'll call them charlatan. It's not, me, not my position to judge, but there's a lot of people who are using them in manipulative ways. Uh, so I kind of want to understand, uh, get a better understanding of it. You started to talk about the the different modes that it supports and if it's, it, should we be scared of it? Should we be using it? Can you help us with that?
2: Do you know, it's, it's hard to talk about um, persuasion and manipulation and uh, trust without falling over certain words that have underpinning them certain assumptions. So when we talk about where to use their manipulation, my question is, yes, we're manipulating people all of the time. The question is, For what purpose? So one of the fathers of NLP, without even voluntarily being a father, he was interviewed by the the guys who originally created NLP. And his name is Dr. Milton Erickson. He was the modern father of modern hypnosis. He was practicing hypnosis when it was illegal in America, which wasn't too many decades back. It's crazy to think. I think it was until the 70s it was illegal He was hauled in front of the American Medical Association, or board, I don't remember what it was called back then, uh, for the uh, sin of practicing hypnosis. And they interviewed him for over an hour. And they were trying to take his practicing license away because he was a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist who didn't like using drugs. And someone sat next to one of the people on that board on a flight some years later, an NLP person. And they said, you're on that board, you're interviewing Erickson, What, what happened? And the answer was, I don't remember what was said, but I remember really liking the guy. So he used to to be able to defend his position. And because it was illegal, he had to do it indirectly. And that's extremely useful because in business, you can't snap your fingers and tell your client or customer, fall asleep and listen to what I say now. And even if you could, my question to you is, would it be unethical if you were serving their needs? So manipulation is often seen as a negative But if you're manipulating somebody to fulfill their own needs and not for yours, then is that a negative thing? And that comes back to the speed of trust when we talked earlier about the fourth and top layer, which is, are you going to be doing it? Actually, it's the capability of serving. It's the intent. What is your motive? Are you doing it for me or for you? Which for me is is the shorthand of, can I trust you to serve my needs or are you only looking to get another sale?
0: Well, my answer is always going to be, I'm doing it for my client, but the truth is I have payroll or if I'm a salesperson, I have a commission quota that I need to hit. Or if I'm a marketing person, I have sales qualified leads to send. Uh, So how are we a good judge of our own motivations? And which is a weird question to ask, but goes to the very heart of why we aren't good at writing our own copy.
2: Yeah, and um, if I can talk about our early conversation, Brian, in our conversation, you told me that we wouldn't be a good match, and I agree with you. My business is not the perfect profile of the customers that, that you serve, and I really appreciated that, and that won you an incredible amount of trust, because you weren't trying to sell me. You could have, and you could be serving me, and I might never know that. And we we talked about another person that I discussed, and that person was trying to sell me their services, even though they weren't the best fit, and they will lose me forever as a potential customer and as a potential person referring on. So there are some moments where you think, is this person the best customer for me to serve, or can I win myself credibility in their eyes, and they'll maybe refer me on to somebody else? Because... I'm on this podcast because I like you and I I trust you and I see that you've got a great deal of experience, not just because you speak on on stages around the world on, on your topic, but you prove that with every conversation, one conversation at a time. And I would urge every person going into any customer or client call or email to say, am I checking my own motivation? Am I focusing sufficiently on the customer's motivation? How can I serve them even better? And almost always, you'll find some additional things that you can bring in, some ways you can serve them better. It could be additional information. It could be asking them questions that you were maybe a little bit nervous to ask them. That could be the true value of un- unlocking. And that's the value, coming back to it again, of the in getting a professional to do personas for you, where they're going to ask uncomfortable questions that you may be not thinking of, or you might have thought of, where you don't dare ask because it's not appropriate, You don't think it's pertinent, and it's just part of their job.
0: Yeah, I completely, completely agree. So for a digital marketer, uh, where does uh, neurolinguistic programming kind of plug in?
2: It's it's a difficult question to answer because NLP means a lot of things to different people. And over the years, NLP has been taken to mean the applications of NLP. So what I mean is NLP is really about modeling. It's about sitting down with, with someone let's say you for example Brian if you're going to give a speech at a, another expo and i wanted to figure out how i can give great speeches i would sit down with you and i would ask you lots of questions i would interview you and i would try to pull out of your head your thinking patterns and i would try embody them myself in my own speech so i'd teach myself and then once i was confident that i'd taken enough of what you do the secret sauce on i would teach someone else and if i've got the stage of teaching someone else to emulate a lot of what Brian does, I know I can give myself a pat on the back and say, I've modeled Brian. I've modeled Brian specifically in his giving speeches. And that's sorting the wheat from the chaff. So there'll be some things that you do, like maybe a ritual beforehand that gives you confidence that I might go, "Mm, this is a Brian-specific thing that doesn't necessarily make someone else great at, at speaking. Whereas if there's something that you do in terms of asking questions, understanding the audience beforehand, that might be something where I'll think, okay, this is a really secret source of rhymes that everyone else needs to practice. So that's what NLP is largely about. It's about watching, listening to someone, asking them questions. So By the way, I'll also watch you give that speech and watch video footage of you giving speeches to get the first person experience. It's not just about asking you to pull it out of your head and NLP is about that modeling process, but you wouldn't think it taking an NLP course because most companies now will fill their NLP courses up with the applications of NLP. So we started talking earlier about the visual auditory and the kinesthetic language. That was modeled by NLP, but it isn't NLP. It's a very useful set of tools, but it's not NLP. And similarly, if you break someone's fear, if you bust a phobia, then that's not NLP. It's an application of NLP. But people tend to mix them up because the NLP applications are quicker to learn, they're immediately applicable, and it gets people paying money to come on courses for many days. Speaking of which, if you're looking to take an NLP course, please take a 20-day course. Don't take a seven-day course with Tadpole James. It's accelerated. It's useful. Sure, you'll learn a bunch of things, but you won't necessarily learn the best modeling skills because that takes time. And time is not sexy and <laughs> time is expensive, but time's necessary if you want to learn modeling skills. And and that's just a foundation practitioner NLP course that takes 20 days. And usually if it's a good course, it'll give you some homework too.
0: Help us prioritize the value we'll get as a digital marketer because, uh, you know, you're talking about modeling. Some things came into my head. We we had a customer um, do a presentation with us at um, Internet Retailer Conference and that process was so eye-opening because they helped on the, the slides and the, the presentation structure. They were really involved. And I got a completely different view of how our customers think and, and present things and the words they use and the order that they present things that has really helped me since. So I essentially used that experience to model one of our customers and ideally, That that customer was um, the basis for one of our key personas. So I was not just modeling him, but a larger segment of the audience that we're presenting. So I'm 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 all bought in on on this modeling capability. Help us prioritize, though, kind of where a, a course on NLP would fall. Should we take it before or after diving in on copywriting tactics? What do you think?
2: it depends largely on on time because a lot of people don't have 20 days to just give away to something new so if there is something quick and easy that will give you some payback especially as the economy uh, deflates around our ears then i would urge maybe doing that for a practical reason if now you're looking around and going okay so i have some time on my hands what should i invest in nlp course is highly beneficial and a lot of people go in for a specific reason whether it's selling the customer or copywriting skills. And you will get those things, those tools, but you get a lot more on top of that because NLP looks at how you experience the world. Some people call NLP courses an instruction manual to use the human brain, the human neurology. And it sounds like an ambitious claim, but it really is extremely useful. I personally think that NLP should be taught at school. It's such an essential set of tools and skills that... It's one of the big gaping holes in the education system where we're filling our minds with facts and figures that are probably not going to end up being used. So there's there's the question also of do I take a 20-day course? Do I look for the master pack, which is another 20-day course? And, of course, it's worthwhile just doing the first 20-day course and then seeing a lot of people will continue on the path because it is so valuable.
0: Well, Colm, tell us what we're going to find if we visit negotiation.com. What's our trigger for getting over there and checking out what you offer?
2: So there's a whole bunch of changes coming. But in short, what you'll see is it's all about negotiation. It's about business negotiation specifically. We haven't branched into the consumer field yet. And you'll see if you're going there and looking for resources, we've got hundreds of articles, case studies. We've answered people's questions that they've sent in to us. We even got some cartoons for lighthearted uh, entertainment at the lunch hour. And there's also some definitions if you want to be able to demystify certain words. So there's a whole bunch of resources that we're, we're giving away on the site. And if you subscribe to the newsletter, then you'll be able to get uh, discounted offers uh, when they are being offered on the courses. Last year, we gave away one free place on the New York training course. And there are things like that that are worthwhile subscribing to the newsletter on.
0: I'm on the newsletter, definitely. You've convinced me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we have the world's only and first negotiation simulation tool. So you'll also get to hear when we have offers for that, which will be coming up. We're actively investing in it and we've poured a huge amount of money and time and we're using it on all of our training courses. And I think that because it's online, you can use it from home.
0: So there will be a link in the show notes. Um, I think anybody who visits negotiation.com is going to, is in for uh, an education, either uh, informally or directly. I am so glad you were able to come on the Intended Consequences podcast. Everybody, if you have questions, send me a note at podcast at com, spelled just like you think. And uh, Callum, thank you for joining us.
1: Stay tuned for more landing page optimization once we optimize some exposure for our sponsors.
0: It passes before it's noticed. A slight rising of the eyebrows, a widening of the eyes. It may be accompanied by an almost imperceptible inhalation. The heart adds a beat like a quiet exclamation point on the experience. Within a tenth of a second, the reaction has passed, but not without leaving its mark. Someone found what they're looking for. Visit IntendedPodcast.com or find us where you get your podcasts. Intended Consequences, Marketing on Purpose.
3: Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy to use site management tools and powerful do it your way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. You'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.wmr.fm and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm.
1: We're back to help digital marketers make great landing pages on LPO. Landing page optimization only on webmasterradio.fm
0: when you get back to the office. If you don't know your Myers-Briggs type, the four letters that undergirds your tendencies and talents, well, you really should. I've placed a link in the show notes to a free quiz. How you score is going to tell you how you will write. We tend to write for the people like ourselves, regardless of whether or not we're a good representation of our audience. I'm an ENFP, extroverted, intuiting, feeling, perceiving. As an NF, I fall into the category of a humanist, according to Brian and Jeffrey Eisenberg in their book, Waiting for Your Cat to Bark. You should really check it out. As a humanist, I am interested in relationships and how I will feel if I buy your product. You should not be surprised to find a humanist hosting a podcast. We seek genuine connection, and you'll definitely see this in my writing. Fortunately, I have an INTJ editing my articles. She keeps me from getting too mushy and makes sure that I address the how and the why of my topics. If you're in conflict with someone on your team, it might be because you're too similar to their Myers-Briggs Type Index. It might also be because you're too different. But now you know, and now you can see your blind spots when you write or review digital copy. So go science something.